All right, let, let's pray together. Father, uh, Lord, I, I, I just pray. We, we're going to open your word here in just a minute. And there really is no one higher than you. And God, there is no one greater than you. And I, I just, Father, I just ask that in the next few minutes that you would open your, your word up and you would open our hearts up that we might be able to get a small glimpse of your greatness. Just, Father, that's, we can't handle all of it. But if you could just give us a glimpse of your greatness and your awesomeness today. God, I'm convinced it would, it would change us. And so, Father, my prayer is that you would speak out of your word right into our life today. And that we would leave here standing amazed in your presence because your majesty and because your glory. There really is none greater. Your greatness, the psalmist wrote, no one can fathom. And so we honor you, we worship you, we exalt you this morning. And we do it all in that strong name, the mighty name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name. The name before whom the Bible says every knee will bow. One day, Father, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is King and He's Lord. And so today, Jesus, we confess you as King and Lord. So in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 17. The Gospel of John chapter 17. If today's your first Sunday with us in the last, uh, the last couple, we started a little series uh, the 1st of June called Summer Road Trip. And that's why you see the cars out front. Uh, by the way, how many of you worked, if you worked in vacation Bible school, if you had a part in making Bible school happen, would you go ahead and stand up for me? I'm just going to point you out. Come on. All right. Awesome. Thank you all so much. They, um, and we had a boatload of kids here this week and we had a great time in vacation Bible school. And so for, it's kind of hard for me to think about a road trip. Really all I want to think about is a nap because we've had a long week. But but we're on this little road trip. We were in Las Vegas last week. We start out in St. Louis, kind of a weird combination. Today we're in a place called Jackson Hole. Anybody ever been to Jackson Hole in Yellowstone? All right, awesome, good. If you've not been there, you should put Jackson Hole on your bucket list. It needs to be on your list. Uh, we're going to talk about it for a minute. Fifteen years ago, Elisa and I had the opportunity to spend a night in Jackson Hole and kind of look around. We were with, with a preacher friend of mine and his wife. We'd been to the Southern Baptist Convention. And so we spent a night in Jackson Hole, and, and then we made a trek all across uh, uh, the western, northwestern section of Wyoming and spent that evening way up at Mammoth Hot Springs or whatever on the top of Yellowstone. But we spent two days there, and it's one of the most intriguing and interesting and beautiful places that I've ever been in my life. Now, I hadn't been a lot of places, but I'm just telling you, if you've never looked across Jenny Lake at the Grand Tetons, now that view there is over the Snake River, but if you've never stood in front of Jenny Lake and looked up uh, at those mountains, you've missed out because that is quite a place. 
Now, Jackson Hole's kind of the, uh, it's kind of the place where everybody goes, where you fly into or drive into, and you kind of spread out from there. You go to Jenny Lake, the Grand Tetons, you go skiing, you go do whatever. And it's quite a wild place. It's known for extreme skiing. Uh, it may have been the birthplace. In fact, I was looking this week. There's a DVD you can find online about a group called the Jackson Hole Air Force. There was a bunch of, really, a, there were a bunch of yahoos, and they kind of, they, they would do illegal stuff skiing on these slopes, but they were kind of some of the pioneers of extreme skiing. I mean, they do radical stuff. And if you get on there, I mean, they, they just, I mean, they just go off the edge of a cliff, might be 150 feet in the snow and they would jump off. I mean, uh, some people say they're brave. I think they're idiots, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. But it's just a wild and exciting place. If you go up there in the wintertime, you got all kind of skiing, extreme skiing. You can snowboard. You can cross country. You can snowmobile. And, and if winter's not your thing, you can go up there. I mean, there's, you can hunt there. You can bike there. You can hike there and canoe and kayak and fish. I mean, it's, it's an outdoorsman's paradise. Probably not a dad here that wouldn't love to spend a few days in the Jackson Hole area. I mean, it is just this awesome, awesome place. Now, there's other places that have beautiful mountains. There's other places that have unique um, wildlife. There's other places that have extreme stuff that you can do. But I'm convinced, at least in my own heart, there's probably not another place where you can get the combination of excitement and beauty and majesty and all of God's creation. I just don't know where you can go to get any better glimpse of the majesty of creation than Jackson Hole. You ought to take a trip sometime and, uh, and spend some time up there. It is, it is quite a beautiful place. The, uh, the Jackson, Wyoming, they don't call it Jackson Hole anymore. They call it just Jackson, but I always thought of Jackson Hole. But anyway, the Chamber of Commerce, here's their slogan. It says, experience the power of place. Experience the power of place because they know ain't anybody can compare with their place. They got as good a one as you can get. And so they, that's their deal. And, you know, I talked about the extreme skiing and, and, and all that stuff. At the, at the base of one of the mountains, before you get on the ski tram, here's one of the statements on one of the slopes. It says this. It says safety message. Now, these are, remember I talked about these extreme skiers, these, these wacko guys. Safety message, our mountain is like nothing you have skied before. It is huge with various terrain from groomed slopes to dangerous cliffs to dangerous weather. You must exercise extreme caution. You could become lost. You could make a mistake. You could suffer personal injury. You could suffer death. That was enough to stop me right there. When they, when they put that on there, I'm done. I'm finished. Okay, I'm not going up. But it goes on to say, protect yourself. Understand the trail before you proceed. Give this mountain the special respect it demands. Think and be careful. Now, if you go online and you look at those extreme skiing videos, those guys didn't pay attention to anything. They, they, they don't seem to think or be careful. But it's interesting because they got this huge mountain, this place, and, they, and, and because of just the sheer power and possibility, they say you better exercise extreme caution. You better think and you better be careful. Well, when I open the pages of Scripture 
And I read about the majesty of God. It tells me that when we approach this creator being that we're going to talk about today, when we come into his presence, we should think and be careful. We should exercise extreme caution because the scripture says the heavens in Psalm 19 verse 1, it says the heavens declare the glory and the majesty of God. In Romans 1, it tells us, uh, in fact, let me just share Romans 1 with you. It says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. And so what the scripture says, when you look at a place like Jackson Hole, Wyoming, when you see something that's so majestic, that's so mighty, that's so beautiful and so awesome and so dangerous, It gives you a glimpse of the power, the eternal power, and the divine majesty of our God. And so this morning, I want us to spend a few minutes talking about God's majesty and His glory. And what I hope for you and what I hope for me today is that when we walk out of those doors, that we will have a fresh glimpse, or maybe for some of you, if you're not yet a believer in Christ, maybe you'll have a a new glimpse of the majesty of And the glory of our God. We need to know who he is. And then we need to think and be careful in his presence. Now the night before he was going to be crucified. uh, Just hours before he was betrayed. Jesus spent some time with his disciples. And he kind of concluded that time with uh, the, the high priestly prayer. Or what I would call the Lord's Prayer. It's his final prayer for his disciples. And for all of us who would one day believe in Jesus Christ and and kind of nestled in that text are a couple verses and comments about the glory of God and our responsibility and how we uh, are to respond to the glory of God. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look with me at verse 10 of of John 17, John 17, verse 10. In fact, let me back up to verse 9. Jesus, he's talking about now, he's talking to the disciples and all those who would believe because of them. So that includes all of us. And he says in verse 9, he says, I pray for them. Again, he's talking to his father. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. Now listen to this statement. Listen to this. And glory has come to me through them. I want in your mind, I want in our mind this morning that glory, glory, which we'll define in a moment, should come to God through us. That's what Jesus said. And glory has come to me through them. Then look down at verse 22. He goes on to say, or goes on to pray. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me. Imagine with me for a minute. Jesus makes available to us. The glory that God has given to him. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. Now watch this. To let the world know that you sent me. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. God has given us And made available to us the glory of Jesus so the world can know. Then verse 24 says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. 
And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Now, the tremendous passage of scripture, and we don't have time, and I'm, I'm just telling you right now, we're not going to be able to get to everything that I want us to talk about this morning, but I want us to understand a couple things. First of all, that is that the heavens declare the glory of God. When you go out and look in the night sky, and we're going to look in the night sky in a few minutes uh, in a little video thing for you, you see the glory of God. When you look at creation, if you go to Jackson Hole and you look at creation, you're going to see the majesty of God. And there's a lot of places on earth that are like that. But what I want us to get our hands around this morning and what Jesus prayed that we might get our hands around is that when people look at us as followers of Jesus, they should see the glory of God. And so my question for you and me is that when those around us look at our lifestyle, Do they see the glory of God? It's easy to look at a mountain and say, God is awesome. It's it's amazing to look out into the universe and say, God hung all that. That is awesome. But when God looks at, when people look at our life, do they see the majesty and glory of God? That's what Jesus prayed for. That's what Jesus expects. Of us. And so I want us to spend a few minutes this morning talking about how that happened. Now the scripture is very clear that, uh, that we're create, we're made to bring glory to God. As a matter of fact, um, if you have your Bible, turn right from John, go over a couple books to 1 Corinthians, go, go past Acts and Romans, and then I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you have a pen or a pencil, I want you to pull it out. Because I want you to mark in your Bible a very special verse. And I want you to listen to this. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Here's what the Word says. This is not me talking. This is God's Word. Listen to what it says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. God has called us to be able to live our life and to do all that we do. Everything that I do and everything that you do, whether it's parent our kids, whether it's work in our workplace, whether it's uh, be a friend in our neighborhood or serve in our church or, or be engaged in the community, whatever we do as followers of Christ, we should do all for the glory of God. Now, one of the issues is we look past this and probably as preachers, we don't preach a lot of this. And so this morning, I want us to try to get our hands around how in the world you and I, if God expects us to bring to bring glory to him, if God expects all that we do to bring glory to God, how can we do that? And so I want to give you a couple thoughts. First of all, I think the first thing that's got to happen is that we have to recapture, if you will, the glory of God. It is The glory of God is in, in the honor of God and the majesty of God. We don't talk about that a lot. Now, let me just define those two terms, and then I want to share something with you. The term glory in the original language in the Greek, which the New Testament was written in, the word glory means manifested power. And manifested power is kind of that power that you see, the obvious power. And so here's kind of the principle. The glory of God is how, when you think about God's glory, glory is how God makes himself known to people. 
If you look in the Old Testament, when Israel was being going around in the desert, they had the cloud over the testimony by day. They had the pillar of fire by night. That was a picture of God's glory. In John, the book, the Gospel of John, which we read from, you've probably heard the seven miracles or the seven signs of John. The whole book's written around these seven events that Jesus did, the the turning water into wine, the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of Lazarus, and there's seven total of those miracles. And the reason John was written was to identify God through his glory. And so God's glory is how he chooses to make himself known. Now, the second term, now I use them interchangeably, but they're different. The second term is majesty. The word majesty, according to J.I. Packer, is always a declaration of God's greatness, but it includes an invitation to worship. And so when, when you think about the majesty of God, it's a declaration of his greatness, but it's an invitation for you and for me to worship him. And so that's why King David declared in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. And so uh, King David understood that we are called to declare God's greatness and we are called, we're invited to come. Into worship. And so if that's going to happen, we've got to recapture. J.I. Packer said this in his book, Knowing God. He said, the Christian's instincts of trust and worship are stimulated very powerfully, powerfully by the knowledge of the greatness of God. But listen to this statement. But this is knowledge which Christians today largely lack. And that is one reason why our faith is so feeble and our worship is so flabby. We are modern people and modern people... Though we cherish great thoughts of ourselves, as a rule, we have small thoughts about God. And he says this. He said, when the person in the church, let alone the person on the street, when the person in the church uses the word God, the thought is rarely of divine majesty. So let me just ask you. When you think about the word God, what does it strike in your mind? Do we think about divine majesty? See, we have, as a rule, we typically have small thoughts of God. Now, that's not, and I don't say that because it's to be mean to us. Listen, that's always been true. I mean, Abraham was the father of many nations. Abraham was the, he got the covenant from God. And he had a small view of God as well. Do you remember the story? Remember when God, uh, when Abraham turned about 75, God said, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm making a covenant with you. You're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham's thinking, I'm 75 years old. I don't have any kids. And so 24 years passed. Now, he had a child through a servant girl, but his wife still hadn't had any kids. So God comes to him. He's 99 years old. And God says, okay, here's what's going to happen for you. Uh, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be Isaac. And Abraham kind of chuckled. Well, uh, things went on and, and uh, the angel of the Lord and a couple uh, angels came with him and visited Abraham. And when he got up to leave, the angel of the Lord said, now I'm going to come back next year. When I come back next year, you're going to have a son. Well, his wife, Sarah, who's 89 years old, when she heard it, she just started laughing. And she said, I'm 89. How's an old lady like me going to have that kind of pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, says, why is she laughing? Does she not understand the power of the Lord? 
that with God all things are possible. And so the Lord rebuked, Abraham rebuked her, and she said, well, I didn't say that out of fear. Well, she just lied. She lied to God. But, I mean, all I'm saying is, listen, we, as a rule, we don't have this big view of God. And it's, I don't even know that it's our fault. It's probably not your fault. Maybe it's my fault because I've not helped give you a big view of God. But if you, if you, if we're going to bring glory to God, then we've got to recapture that glory. You and I, we've got to get an understanding of that glory. And there's two things we need to do to recapture His glory. First of all, we've got to stop thinking or quit thinking that our God is small because for most of us, we have a small view of God. And I don't mean that bad. I just think we're just conditioned. We're conditioned to live our life and think, well, you know, we're going to do our thing. And if things go bad, I'll call on God and God will help me out. And, you know, God will forgive me and I'll go to heaven one day. We've just got a small view of God. Scripturally, that shouldn't be. We don't have a small God. We have this awesome God. But many of us, we go through life thinking, well, I can, you know, I can hide everything from people. You know, I can put on a smile and, and I can hide my fears. I can hide my failures. I can hide all these things. And so we typically, around people, we just put on a, we put on a smile and go on about our merry way. And a lot of times we think that we can do that with God and we can just do our own thing. And, you know, God won't, doesn't really know what we think. God doesn't really know what we do. But, but listen, nothing could be further from the truth. Our God is so big and awesome. He knows everything that is going on in your life. He knows everything that is going on in my life. So, so don't, we shouldn't have a small view of God. As a matter of fact, go over to the book of Psalm uh, 139. Psalm 139, I want to share just quickly a couple verses about this, this idea. Uh, Psalm 139 one says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. God knows us. In verse 4 says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. God knows. Listen, we tend to think that we can compartmentalize our life. And we can kind of do, this is our, our God part, and this is our work part, and this is our family part, and this is our fun part. Listen, God knows our words before they're ever on our tongue. That's why it's funny. Uh, I don't know that y'all can appreciate this. But when you're a when you're a pastor, it's kind of funny how people change their vocabulary when they figure out you're a preacher. I mean, you'd be sitting at the ball field and people would be doing da 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 da, and then somebody goes, "Well, you," and they figure out you're a preacher, and all of a sudden they change. And I'm thinking, I'm not the guy you got to worry about. Our God knows our He knows our words for they're ever on our tongue. So, I mean, and I, I mean, I pre, listen, I appreciate it when people don't take the Lord's name in my presence. I mean, that's a good thing. But I'm not the guy to worry about. God is the one because he's bigger than all of us and he knows all things. And so all I'm saying is we've got to quit thinking our God is small because our God is great and mighty. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet said, ah, sovereign Lord, you created the heavens and the earth. There is nothing too hard from you. And so if we're going to recapture God's glory, and if you're going to bring glory to God through your life, and if I'm going to bring glory to God through my life, first of all, I've got to stop thinking that he's small. But there's a second thing that I've got to do. I've got to be able to compare God to things that are great. 
And that gives me perspective. And let me just get you to turn to the book of Isaiah. I know we're going to a bunch of places, but you really need to go to Isaiah 40 if you got your Bible. You need to put a mark there. This is a great place to spend some time. What a picture of the majesty and glory of God. But if we're going to really have an understanding of His glory, we've got to be able to look at the great things uh, that we can see and, and put them in context with who our God is. And the first area that I think we need to compare God to is with the works of His hands. And uh, w- let me just kind of, kind of set this up a little bit. Every summer, or typically almost every summer, we wind up at the beach. It's just kind of a, a family thing. We started, I don't know, we got married a few years ago, just a handful. And uh, we'll go to North Carolina in a few weeks, and we'll spend, uh, and Lord willing, we'll spend a week at the beach. And many of you, you go to different places. And, and here's what I find interesting is, I mean, there's an old country song that says, you know, I still feel small when I stand beside the ocean. But just sometime when you're at the ocean, just... Just stand there and imagine and look out. You can't, it's just hard for us to imagine how the thing, just how big it is. I'm intrigued by how the thing works. How, you know, that that whole deal. And and, and listen to what Isaiah said. Now, Isaiah had never been to Hawaii. He'd never been to Myrtle Beach or Port Aransas or where. Listen, they didn't go to the beach back then. At least I don't think. Well, Jonah did. But other than that, I mean, they didn't go hang out at the beach. But listen to what he says, Isaiah 40, verse 12. And and I need to help you with the perspective. But he said, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? So just think about this. I don't know, our earth is probably two-thirds water. And the Bible says God measured it in the hollow of his hand. And so I stand beside the ocean and watch the waves crash in and come in and out. And and I'm amazed by that. And and it's just like God holding his hand. And we could look at all the the whole works of creation. And we could go on and on and on. I mean, we could talk about some of the things. If you want to talk about comparing God to His works, just some. Here's a study. Go home and Google the human eye and try to figure out how that deal works. Just do that sometime. And God created that, and He gave us that. That we can see color. I mean, just all this stuff. And so if we're going to capture God's glory, we, we need to compare it to His works. Secondly, we need to compare it to the world. If you look at verse 22 of Isaiah 40, listen to what he says. He says, he says, He, God, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. In other words, God sits enthroned in heaven above the circle. By the way, uh, for those of you that, that don't think the, the, the Bible is scientifically accurate, Isaiah was written 750 years before Christ. That's 2,100 and something years before Christopher Columbus. They thought was going to sail off the earth because it was flat. And God's word here says earth isn't flat. God sits above the circle, the sphere of the earth. So just want you to know, scientifically, it's accurate. That's extra. That's not part of the discussion. But God sits above the, the earth and he... And he Looks down at us as grasshoppers. Give, you know, give or take maybe a hundred million. There's 6.7 billion people on earth today. Give or take a few million. And God knows every one of us by name. Every one of us, the scripture teaches. 
He was there at the moment of conception. He knows how many hairs fell out of your head this morning when you took a shower or brushed your hair. He knows all of that about every one of us. And so when we start to look at the greatness of our God and we see His work, we start looking at the greatness of our God and, and see His world. But Isaiah commented on another subject that I, it's, I don't want to be political, but it is kind of interesting. You know, we think of political people being very powerful people. And, you know, people, this week in Bible school, we studied about Nebuchadnezzar when he was uh, the king of Babylon. And he thought, well, I'm the most powerful and important man in the world. And, and he was at that time. And he dishonored God and he spent years eating grass like a cow. And you can read about that in the book of Daniel. It's what happened. And then Alexander come along and he thought he was the greatest man in the world. And then Hitler come along. Well, a lot of them in between. And then now we got people like, you know, we would think of the president of the United States being the most powerful man in the world. And so, you know, uh, Obama kind of has that position, unless of course you're Chinese. If you're Chinese, then, then you think probably Hu Jintao is the most important man in the world. Or if you're Iranian, you think it's Mao Mao, uh, um, Amahada, however you say his name. <laughs> but all these guys, I mean, they think they're so powerful. In fact, they, in fact, a couple months ago, I saw an article about Obama. He slipped up and told the Russians as soon as he got reelected, he, he, he'd be able to take care of all this stuff. And, and, and I'm just thinking, but this, there's a part of this, these leaders think, well, you know, I'm the most powerful man in the world and, you know, and I can do this and this and this. Listen, I want to tell you, they're not. I mean, a million times they're not the most powerful people. In fact, listen to what Isaiah said about them. And this is about the time he's fixing to predict. This is before Judah ever goes to captivity. But listen to what he says there in verse 23. He says, he bring, brings princes to naught. And reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Wasn't long after that, Nebuchadnezzar was eating grass. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. This is all I'm saying. When we look at the most powerful people in the world, all they have is what God gives them and he can take it away just like that. And he will. He has, and He will again. And so if we're going to get a picture of God's glory, we, we just got to see that our God is, He's God over everything. Now we've talked about His work, and we've talked about our world, and we talk about leaders. Let, let me just talk about one other. Let's talk about the stars of heaven for just a minute, because Isaiah comments on that a lot. It's really interesting. Again, this was written about 750 years before Christ, so way back there they understood we looked at verse 12, and let me just read the end of verse 12 because it says, uh, it says, with the breath of his hand, he marked off the heavens. And then verse 22, I think it's the second part. It says, he stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and he spreads them out like a tent to live in. We were at a softball tournament yesterday, and some of you, you know, you do the softball, baseball thing. You know how... Uh, we had the privilege, one of the teams that played, they had popped up one of these little tents over the bleachers. And so we got to, for one of the games, we got to sit in their shade and enjoy it. But, you know, you, people go out there and they pop up these little 10 by 10 tents and, in a few minutes and, and you got shade. Well, the Bible says that God spread the heavens like a canopy. He pitched them like a tent. And so I want to, we need to understand that like we would go put up a, 
tent. God spread our heavens like a canopy. And then look down at verse 26. This is an interesting uh, description. He says, lift your eyes, look to the heavens, which we're going to do in just a second on a video. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Listen, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now, I want you to get a picture, or at least a little bit of perspective. If God spread the heavens like a canopy, and if God created all the stars one by one, called them by name, and not one of them's missing, I want you to have a little bit of perspective of what that universe is like. So, Brian, if you'll show this video. When you think about that, the scripture says God spread them like a canopy. There's not one missing. Not one. I mean, if imagine if, if the moon was missing or didn't work right, water would cover the whole earth. And yet our God, you know, our God created all of that. 
He created all that. In fact, if you have your copy of the Word, go all the way to the book of Hebrews. Let me just share one more verse with you. In fact, let me just read it for you out of the English Standard Version. Hebrews 11, or excuse me, Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, talking about Jesus, says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And I can't wrap my mind around this, but God created all of that. And Jesus' word is powerful enough to speak it into existence, number one. But number two, it is powerful enough to keep it all going at any one time. That is an awesome, amazing, and powerful God. That's our God. That is our God. And if we're going to recapture his glory, then we have to be able to compare him to what he's made. I mean, we imagine this. We can't even imagine, most of us, and maybe you can get your hands around it. I can't, I can't even imagine how big that one star is, that one that said it'd take 1,100 years to fly around in an airplane. Can you imagine 1,100 years? We heard, a, a Kyle and I heard the illustration this week. If, um, if the earth were a golf ball, you could put seven quadrillion of those Seven quadrillion golf balls inside of that biggest star. Okay, that's enough golf balls to cover the state of Texas 22 inches deep. That's how big that one star is. Just one. And my God and your God created that star, put it in the heaven, spread it out there like, pitched it like a tent. Now that God That God knows your name. He knows your name. He knows what you had for breakfast. He knows how many hairs fell out this morning. He ordered your steps before one of them came to be. And he sent his son to die in your place. And he wants you and me to bring glory to him. That's what he asked for. The God that did all of that, that's doing all of that, and that's in charge of all that, is concerned about you personally so much that he killed his son for you. And what he wants for you and for me is to bring glory and honor and majesty to him. He wants us to reveal his glory. Now, you might be thinking, well, how do we do that? How can I, how can you bring glory to God? Let me just be simple. A changed life. We should live our life in a way that we're different. So that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do in word or deed, we should do all for the glory of God. And the only way to do that is to have a life totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for you. That's why he died for you. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, the God that made the universe knows your name.
knew you were going to be here today and wanted you to see today that as magnificent, as majestic as he is, and he is, he loved you enough to send a son for you. And he wants you to give his life, your life to him today. So if you've never given your life to Christ, our prayer and our hope is that today you'd surrender your heart to Jesus. You know, the Bible says, the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, it says in Romans 10 verse 9 that if you would confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and if you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you'll surrender your life to him, turn to him, that you'll be saved, you'll be forgiven, and you'll go to heaven when you die. And you can live a life here that will bring glory and honor to him. So if you've never given your life to Christ, my hope, my prayer is that you'll do that today. But many of us are saved, but we've, we've lost sight, if you will, of God's glory. And if you've lost sight of the glory of God, here's my prayer for us. We need to repent. We just need to repent and say, you know what, God? I've lost my focus, and I want to return back to you. So I'm going to invite you to bow your head with me and close your eyes and just for just a moment, and I want you to just examine your own life and, and just ask yourself, number one, have I given my life to Jesus? Does he live in my heart? Have I confessed him as my Lord? He died for me. Do I know him? Do you know him personally today? And if you're not sure or your answer's no, will you, will you open your heart to him today? Would you confess today Jesus as Lord of lords and King of kings and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Would you turn from your sin and turn to him? And that's yes or no. But also, if you're a believer, would you examine your heart and just ask, Am I bringing glory to God in all that I do? And if you're not, like me, I'm not, then we need to repent. And we need to turn back to God and say, God, use my life so I can bring glory to God.